Welcome everybody. I'm here with Julian. Uh, Julian has been a journalist, uh, a reporter, but specifically in regards to the things of Jesus Christ. Uh, over the last 25 years, he's, well, as he told me, he's an observer and he reports these things of the church, the various trials and difficulties the church is facing throughout the world in various areas, uh, as well as many things we can rejoice in as a body of Christ of what God is bringing forth. So welcome, Julian. It's good to have you. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. Tell us a bit about where you're located. I, I think many are probably picking up on a, a little bit of a, an accent, as we would call it here in the United States. <laughs> yeah, I'm a strange hybrid, actually. I've, I'm born and raised in the United Kingdom in southwest England, where I now live, but spent 30 years living in the U.S. on the West Coast, California mostly, and also um, the very far northwest of Washington State. So I'm kind of a strange mix, I like to say, of Brit and an American. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the reason we brought you on today is you recently have, have written an article and done a report on some Russian Ukrainians, and, and particularly the Russian Ukrainian church that is located in Israel on the border of Gaza. I'm going to let you run with this, kind of give a narration of what you've learned. Yeah, so this has all been a very much an, an eye-opener for me as well, Travis, as I've been reporting on this over the past few weeks. So what's interesting here and what most Christians in the West probably don't realize is that Israel is home to roughly 40% of Jews from the former Soviet Union. And these Soviet-era Jews make up more than 15% of the entire Israeli population. So that means that at least one in every six Israelis is actually descended from Jews who've immigrated to Israel over the past decades from the former Soviet nations, including, of course, Russia and Ukraine. And in recent months, there's been an influx of Jewish refugees escaping the war in Ukraine. So they've literally jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire, so to speak, from the horrors of war in Ukraine to the terror that Israel has faced in the past few weeks since Hamas began its attacks. And uh, many of these Jewish Ukrainian refugees are actually evangelical Christians. So Israel has actually received a recent influx of evangelical Christians from Ukraine and they are joining existing evangelical churches in Israel, or in some cases, actually planting new churches in Israel. So the, these churches that God is growing or established, do you have any history on how long they've been in place, particularly along that border of Gaza? Is, are these like rooted churches that have been there for quite some time? Yeah, so I do know that some of these churches have been there for decades, and uh, they, of course, originate from Jews that have immigrated to Israel from the former Soviet countries over several decades. We're not just talking about churches that have sprung up overnight necessarily, but we're talking about churches that have been a part of the fiber and the fabric of their communities there on the border with Gaza for perhaps 30 years or more. Okay, that makes sense. So you have this remnant, this church established, and these refugees that have fled Ukraine went to Israel, I'd imagine they had connections of, of brothers and sisters in Christ that they joined in Israel. Is that kind of the right picture? 
Yes, that's right. That's exactly correct. And I think it's surprising. It was certainly surprising to me that so many Jews have immigrated from the former Soviet Union. There are a lot of Russian-speaking Jews, Jewish Christians, Russian-speaking Jewish Christians in that area, and uh, probably far more than, than we would have guessed. So the refugees that fled Ukraine, do you know specific families? Are, are you speaking of the group as a whole? Mainly, I've been reporting on the group as a whole. You know, some of these Russian-speaking Ukrainian churches are literally on the front line. They're just a few miles from the Gaza border in Israeli cities such as Ashkelon, which has been on our news a lot, which is on the coast. Actually, it's the historical land of the, the Philistines, so the, the David and Goliath type era. And Ashkelon was the prime target for Hamas rockets during the first wave of attacks and was actually hit with hundreds of rockets during the first week of the attacks, causing you know a lot of destruction and mass fear as Hamas terrorists went door to door to basically murder civilians. And I know we've heard about a lot of that, a lot about that on the news. So these churches are really uniquely positioned to reach out to their neighbors in their trauma right now. You know, this is really a moment in time for the gospel in Israel, where many Israelis have never even heard the good news before. One local Ukrainian pastor called Oleg and his congregation are delivering free groceries to families in Ashkelon. They're praying with them. They're sharing the gospel. And he says Israelis have never been so open to the gospel message as they are right now. So this is a wide open door right now for the gospel in Israel. And these Russian-speaking Christians are praying for revival across Israel. Praise God. It's, it, it's interesting to me how, I guess when you get this picture of a refugee, you're, you're fleeing, you're fleeing violence. And, and yet we see the preparation of, of the Lord establishing his people where they need to be for the proper time. Do you have any insight into this group as, as they fled Ukraine and began to get established with the churches that, that God has there along the border of Gaza, when the attack by Hamas first took place, what was their response? And you, you spoke a little bit on it already, but as far as their understanding of God and what he's doing, what was their response in recognizing that? Yeah, I think one thing that was really amazing to me that I've been hearing is that some of these churches that are literally on the front line of this war. They responded within hours. And this is something that you see uh, frequently with the local evangelical churches in disaster situations around the world. Whereas it can take days or even possibly weeks for other agencies to get in after a disaster, these churches are already there. They're on the ground, they're a ready-made relief force, and they're ready to go. And they know the community, they know the people, uh, they know the language, they know the culture, they don't have to worry about visas or anything like that. They're there, they're on the ground, they're ready to go. And these churches were delivering aid door to door to people in need who were literally terrified, traumatized, trapped in their homes after the attacks, scared to go out because, you know, they feared that the Hamas terrorists were still roaming around their neighborhood. And they literally were on their doorsteps, giving them packages of groceries the next day. 
So within hours of the initial attacks, they were at work. And it's not just about the groceries. You know, this is an opening for the gospel. This is an opportunity to talk to people, to start having conversations with people, and of course, sharing the gospel with them. And uh, as we're hearing, you know, people are more and more open to the gospel at this time, as they often are in an emergency situation, when, you know, the going gets tough. That's when people really begin to question, you know, is there a God? If there's a God, does he really care about me? Is he actually interested in my situation right now? And these are the kind of questions that these church leaders are getting. You know, they're not just having like fluffy conversations about religion. They're actually really in the nitty gritty talking to people where they are and trying to respond to these difficult questions as well. It's the beauty of of the refining fire and of suffering, and I, I get really fired up when I when I hear testimonies like this because we understand God's sovereignty, we understand His authority, we we understand His His power and His might, and there's just something very special about hearing the testimony of brothers and sisters who, in the midst of fear and very horrendous attacks, I, I just want to add the, the the attack that took place, yeah, it started October seventh. And that one day alone was horrendous, but yet you have, you have thousands of rockets being fired. You have these attacks continuing day after day after day after day after day. And so you have the shock of the initial onslaughts. And when the body of Christ recognizes and, and is moved in compassion for the need of those who are suffering and have false gods, false idols, or, or even just have no idea whatsoever, come to them and begin to speak plainly of who God is and what Jesus Christ has done for them, it's really a display of, of a sacrificial love. Because any of these pastors or any of these servants of Christ could easily be, be killed. Yes, absolutely. I mean, these frontline churches and frontline pastors, if you can put it that way, they're literally putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Again, I think here we're witnessing how the church grows stronger as a remnant and grows during times of hardship, suffering and persecution, as you're saying, Travis. And of course, in the West, you know, we're taught, aren't we, to be very self-reliant and not to depend on anyone else. But unfortunately, that self-reliant attitude can carry over into our lives as believers sometimes. Um, we want to fix everything ourselves. But, you know, that doesn't foster dependency on God, does it? And uh, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. But so often we want to engineer the source of that daily bread ourselves, don't we? And we're not training ourselves to depend on God for his provision. But when the church is seemingly helpless, uh, that's when we see the church at its strongest with no other resource than God, if if you can put it that way. Uh, for example, um, if I can just uh, reference a couple of other things, uh, for the two places on earth where the church is growing fastest today are Iran and Afghanistan. And can you believe that? I mean, in the midst of the oppression of everything that's going on in Iran, everything we see on the news and the Taliban rule in Afghanistan, in the midst of all that, the church is growing because the spirit of God is moving in the hearts of those who are genuinely seeking him and who want to know the truth. 
And in Afghanistan today, many isolated secret believers are living in the mountains and deserts. Uh, they're meeting online via WhatsApp and other social media channels on their smartphones, uh, exactly where they are, whether they're out in the streets or they're at home. Um, they're having conversations in real time with believers who speak the Dari language, living in other parts of the Middle East or even other parts of the world. And if the Taliban finds evidence of Christianity on their phones or digital devices, these secret believers face death. But this is not stopping them. Uh, the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. And these believers who are prepared to lay down their lives for the gospel and for the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, to be honest, they put me to shame. Over, over your years of reporting on these kinds of things, what are some of the areas that have impacted you the most in your growth in Christ? And something you can share with the churches for us to chew on and consider in way regarding our, our very pursuit of Christ as well. You mentioned a bit about the obedience and the faith and the pursuit of these brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of protecting themselves, regardless of, of threats of life. What are some things that have that brought a great conviction to you? Mm. We just pause just for a moment there, and I'll just have a quick think about that one, if that's all right. The hardened idea of it is there, there is a great comfort in the United States, but in many ways, there's a great comfort in many countries throughout the world. We have the houses, the air conditioning, the heat, vehicles, the, the entertainment. All, all these are influences that, that kind of press on one, and, and certainly having something nice isn't foundationally the issue. The, the issue is is the heart that begins to get hardened to to the purpose that God has for the church. And so, like even with these Russian Ukrainians, what I find fascinating is they fled they fled their country to presume it was for self safety. This is this is a war area. I need to leave to be safe. We I've seen this all throughout Mexico when the drug war took off. Organizations fled. Mexico in early 2010 through 2012 and, and even onward, my friend and I would come to an area, it would create such a stir because, well, why is this American here? He could be killed. And you'd have hundreds flocking to come and see why. And then they hear the word of Jesus Christ and you see the work of the spirit and repentance comes upon many through numerous areas. And, and the fruit was humbling, absolutely humbling to see. But even in this, I know there was a lot of wrestling of self in the sense of you get uncomfortable and there's things you don't like and, and there's rumors you hear and there's fear and, and all these things. And so in many ways, with the Remnant podcast as well, the heart is just to bring some of these raw things to the surface in which maybe by God's grace, we can hear something that can cut to us in which we say, hey, God can do that with me as well. And so over the years, like I say, 25 years is an incredible amount of time in, in history of literally reporting about the church and the work that God is doing through it throughout numerous different areas. And maybe in the future, we'd love to have you back and, and delve into some other areas and aspects of what God has shown you. I don't believe anybody doesn't wrestle things of comfort or things of fear or our own ideas. But when you get thrown into the deep waters and you're completely helpless, there's a recognition of of pureness and, and glory of Christ himself that sustains us. 
Yeah, there's some great, great points there, Travis. Yeah, there are many things that have struck me over the years, you know, when I've seen the church at work, if you like, around the world um, in different places. If I could just highlight perhaps one example from um, I spent some time living in Uganda in Africa. Um, we had um, some Ugandan friends that worked in the slums of Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. And um, our friend was working with the street kids that come in from surrounding villages and flock to the city, you know, in the hope of being able to basically survive. There are literally thousands of street kids that live in the capital city of Kampala in Uganda. And some of the things that you see and hear are absolutely horrific. And I always remember one instance when there were a group of young boys, probably aged between the ages of about six and 10, that used to um, gather together at nights and they used to sleep in amongst some, you know, garbage piles in, in one of the alleyways downtown and just basically put out a piece of cardboard and, you know, used to just bed down for the night. And yet the people that were living around there literally viewed them as human garbage. And uh, one night, a few young guys went out to clean up the neighborhood and they literally caught these kids while they were asleep, poured gasoline over them and set them alight and burned them to death on the streets. And I always remember our friend saying that he went to their funeral. They they buried the remains at a cemetery, a pauper cemetery, just outside the city. And I always remember him saying that at, at the funeral service, it was just him and a few of the other street kids that gathered to pay their respects for these kids that were buried in a mass grave. And, you know, this kind of suffering, it happens not just in isolated areas in one city like Kampala. We know this. It happens in Mexico. It happens in South America. It happens in Brazil. It happens all over the world. And we cannot, as Christians, turn a blind eye to this kind of suffering. And we cannot turn a blind eye to the suffering of the people in the Middle East right now. And this is why it's so important for Christians in the in the Middle East right now to not only be sharing the gospel, but to be reaching out with compassion. And I, I'm a strong believer that compassion and the gospel go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. It has to be both word and action, as we say. So Right now in Israel, when these pastors are going door to door and they're handing out groceries and they're sharing the gospel, they're doing both. They're putting their faith into action and they're sharing the gospel that can save. And in my opinion, I've seen this over and over again, that this is the way that Jesus wants us to share our faith. He expects us to live our faith as well as share the gospel message. One thing I hear a lot from people is is they come and say, they, they, they hear about different things happening in Israel. We hear about different things happening in Ukraine, different things happening in Afghanistan, Iran. And I know many in the church, 
and I've heard this many times in all the areas we spoke, they say, well, what can we do? And my response, prayer. Prayer is is a way in which the church shares one another's burdens. It's a way in which we partake in the work God is bringing forth. When, when we hear about the Russian-Ukrainian churches in Gaza, they witnessed absolute depravity, the beheading of babies, the rape of women, and the mutilating of bodies. This is just the sliver on top of the attacks that are coming daily. And when we say, well, what can we do? When we know the living God, and when we know the power that's in Jesus Christ, that we have in Jesus Christ, and this call, the call that Christ gives us of prayer, let's begin there. And so with that, I ask you, what are some things you saw that all who are listening can begin to bring to the Lord in prayer regarding what's taking place in Israel? Yes, well, you know, you make an excellent point there with prayer, because I think so often as Christians in the West, and this has been said, I know before, but we can always, we often see prayer as an as an afterthought, or we tag it on. And we can say it so glibly, can't we? We'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for them. But are we really praying for them? Are we really coming before the throne of God? And are we really seeking him to intervene? on the behalf of our brothers and sisters. We call them our brothers and sisters. Do we really believe that they're our brothers and sisters? If we did believe they were our brothers and sisters, wouldn't we be flat on our faces before God more often? And these are all questions that I've asked myself on many occasions. Um, You know, I'm not an expert on the last days, but I know that people have been talking about the last days a lot in connection with what's going on in the Holy Land right now. And, and, you know, I would suggest this, that now more than ever, we as Christians in the West should be focused on three things. One, we should be praying for Israel and for the church in Israel, because we will be spending eternity with these brothers and sisters. And I don't know about you, uh, Travis, but I don't want to be ashamed in their presence because I neglected them here and now. Uh, Two, we should be supporting our brothers and sisters in the Middle East through reputable organizations and mission contacts that we can trust, uh, especially those that are gospel-centered, I think. And three, we should be praying sincerely for not just those that we agree with, but we should be praying for our enemies and asking the Holy Spirit to give us his love for even our enemies, as the Lord commanded us. That's real Christianity. That's the Christianity that has the power to break down spiritual strongholds and win even the most hardened terrorist to Christ. And if we don't believe that, then we might as well rip Matthew chapter 5 out of our Bibles. Which I don't recommend. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, So you share these things in which... We need to be coming in prayer over. We can share the burdens. We can be petitioning for the gospel to be going forth in these areas, for those in Hamas to be coming to Christ, for those who are are living in the traditions of, of Judaism apart from Christ, to repent and recognize the Messiah. As well, I know there are those that God is raising up to continue to get positioned in these areas throughout the world to be bringing 
his message forth. Are there some organizations that are doing some work, particularly on the ground in Israel or, or maybe in some other areas, that you would recommend uh, for contacting and talking with? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that, Travis, because there I'd like to suggest two ministries right now that work in the Middle East that I feel are worthy of my support. And one of them would be Slavic Gospel Association. That's www.sga.org. Um, they've been working alongside Russian-speaking evangelical churches in Israel for decades. They're not just the new kid on the block who showed up last week because of the recent crisis. They've been there since the 1940s, helping churches on the ground and local pastors there. So I would really recommend their, their fo them. Their focus is on the gospel, uh, training local missionary pastors and helping the forgotten. So definitely, I would recommend Slavic Gospel Association. Uh, they're based in Illinois. Then I would also recommend Sat7 USA. You can find out more about them at sat7usa.org. Uh, they're a Christian multimedia ministry that shares the gospel in local languages with local presenters uh, across the Middle East. And they have satellite programs and social media channels making God's love visible to folks all over the Middle East and North Africa. Again, they're extremely gospel-centered. They're all about the gospel. They're all about sharing Jesus Christ. So uh, definitely, I would recommend those two groups, Slavic Gospel Association and SAT7 USA. Well, thank you so much. Again, I do pray this will be a great encouragement for the churches. And again, perhaps in the future, as God leads, we can have you back, continuing to give us insight into these areas of the world that, that quite frankly, here in the United States, it's, it's tough to get information, particularly information in regards to the things of Christ and what God is doing among his church. So thank you, Julian, so much, and God bless. Thank you very much, Travis, and God bless you too.